0: received a phone call from the junior lawyer on one of my cases and he was giving me an update about the case. We had a plan to take the deposition of the plaintiff in the case. The plaintiff is the one who in the civil lawsuit brings the lawsuit saying I've been injured, I've been damaged and we were going to depose her on June 20th and we'd had that date locked in for several months. And it just belatedly dawned on us with the help of the paralegal on the case that June 10th was on June 20th and a federal holiday. And so we were discussing whether or not it was going to go forward or not. And so he said, well let me reach out to the plaintiff's lawyer and talk about it and figure out what we are going to do. And so he was calling to give me an update about that phone call that he had with the plaintiff's lawyer. And he said, Kevin I've got some surprising news for you she said that she cannot go forward with that deposition. Well, why is that? Well, her law partner has been admitted to the federal court where the case is at, but she had not been admitted. And so she was relying upon him and Kevin he passed away. What? Yeah, he passed away. And we were talking about how shocking that was to us because he had been talking with this young man just a few weeks ago He said Kevin I had a conversation with him just a few weeks ago and and, and I knew he was sick and I'd ask him how he was doing and he said not too well but a lot of times we interpret that in ways that we don't add the severity that maybe we should and so we were shocked that that this man that we had a conversation or he had a conversation with was gone he He was gone. He was dead. He was past. And it got me thinking about just the the brevity of life, just how short life is, just the limited opportunity that all of us have. And I want to talk about that tonight. In fact, the sermon title is Before It's Too Late. Before it's too late. Because there are things that we must do. There are things that we as individuals must accomplish. There are things that we must do to be satisfactory to our Lord and Savior, to our God and Father before it's too late. Now let me say this. In all candor there was a part of me that says, this is not the time to say this sermon. This is not the time to preach this sermon, Kevin. Not not for this congregation. From what we've gone through over the last several months. You know, I'll just put this to the side, and I'll preach this some other time. And then I said, Kevin, you missed the point of what your sermon's all about. Who says you're ever going to get an opportunity to get up in front of this group and preach? Where did did you get the memo that you're going to have that matter? I don't even know if I'm going to survive past today. And who knows? There might be somebody in the audience. We all benefit every time God's Word is presented. But there might be somebody in the audience that could benefit especially from the teaching of God's Word on this particular subject. And how do I know they're going to be here when next I have an opportunity, if I have that opportunity? No, that would be presumptuous. And so we're going to talk about this. Now let me say this as well. There will be some of you as we start to talk about these topics that will say, I know what Kevin's talking about. He's talking about a situation that that he knows about. And and he's taking advantage of the bully pulpit and he's, he's speaking about things that he ought not be speaking about. Let me encourage you, don't think that way. Don't think, really there are only two questions you need to ask about this sermon or any other sermon. Is it the Word of God and how does it apply to me? Is it the Word of God? If the teaching is God's Word, Then the question is, how do I apply that to myself? And does it really make any difference whether I know about your situation or not? I mean, is it like we're going to say, well, you know, yep, yep, what what Brother Clark said was true, it was accurate, it was biblical, but you know, he knew too much and he took advantage of the opportunity from the pulpit. So, you know what? I'm just not going to obey. I know it's true. But I just don't like, I'm mad at him. I I think he should not have said, he should have kept that to himself. So I'm just going to ignore biblical teaching. Does that make sense? Does anybody want to stand before Jesus with that kind of rationale? It doesn't matter. What matters is the truth of what's presented. And if it is true, and if you find that it applies to you in a particular way, then my question is, why not obey? Why not make the changes that are demanded by God's Word? And let me also say this, I'm preaching to myself tonight. I hope you all get some benefit. But I'm going to get some benefit. Because these are things that I need to work on. And so I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to point out anybody. But if the shoe fits, please wear it. And so we're talking about tonight this idea before it's too late. The Bible teaches that we do have a limited window, a limited opportunity to do the work that God would have us to do on this earth. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. Ecclesiastes 9 chapter and verse 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10. We have a limited window to offer the service to God that he demands and is so Worthy and deserving of. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. Ecclesiastes, the 9th chapter, and verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. What is the inspired writer, I believe to be Solomon of Ecclesiastes, telling us? He says, Whatever you do, WHATEVER ENDEAVOR YOU'RE INVOLVED IN, YOU DO IT WITH EVERYTHING YOU HAVE TO OFFER. YOU DO IT WITH YOUR ENTIRE BEING. WHY? BECAUSE THERE'S GOING TO COME A DAY WHEN THAT WINDOW OF OPPORTUNITY IS GONE. WHERE well, THERE'S NOT GOING TO BE ANY WISDOM. and NOT GOING TO BE ANY WORK. THERE'S NOT GOING TO BE ANY device, THERE'S NOT GOING TO BE ANY t- FOR YOU, IT'S DONE. YOU'VE GOT A WINDOW. AND YOU BETTER MAKE THE MOST OF THAT WINDOW OF OPPORTUNITY. DON'T WASTE THE LIMITED TIME THAT GOD GIVES US. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, it is limited. It is limited. No matter how. You get a hundred years. That's limited. That's a blip compared to eternity. So he says, make the most of the time that you have. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 9, verses 4 through 7. Turn over there. John chapter 9, verses 4 through 7. Before it is too late. John chapter 9, verses 4 through 7. John chapter 9. You remember that there was a blind man that his apostles, or disciples, asked him the question, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it, was it him or his parents? And in verse 3 of John chapter 9, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, while it is day, while I have the opportunity, while my limited opportunity is here, before the door has closed on my chapter, whether that be his death and the work that was finished. Remember he said, it is finished on the cross or the end of his earthly ministry when he ascended. He said, I have a limited amount of time and I'm going to do work during that time. But he said, you know, there's a time in everybody's life where no one works. There's a time when you won't have another opportunity to attend a gospel meeting. There's a time when you won't have another opportunity to read God's word. There's a time that comes where you won't be able to share the gospel with your neighbors and your loved ones and your co-workers. There's a time when you won't be able to come together in an assembly like this and worship the God. That time is coming. He says, "Work before that time comes. Be productive before that time comes. Use your time wisely." Hebrews 9:27, turn over there. We know the verse. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. Before it is too late. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. Hebrews the ninth chapter, verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we have an appointment with death. And we need to let that sink in. I'm not talking about some morbid fascination with our own demise. But we do need to understand that our time is limited. We only have so much. We don't have the luxury of wasting time there's too much to do and too little time to do it. And so with that being said, let's talk about some things that we need to do before it is too late. Because once our chapter closes, once we finish the race, once we're done we can't change. We'll be judged by the things that we've done in this body whether good or bad, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. And so one thing I want to suggest to you that we need to do before it's too late is we need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ before it is too late. We need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ before it is too late. Turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10. We need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ before it is eternally too late. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Before it is too late. The Bible says, since it is a righteous thing with God, to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus, listen to this, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who what? Do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. What does the inspired writer Paul say there about what is coming ahead? He says, You know, Jesus Christ came once, right? He came as a savior, he came as a redeemer. But Jesus Christ is coming a second time, folks. And we need to understand He's not coming as Savior when He comes that second time. He's not coming as a Redeemer. He's coming as judge, jury, and executioner. He said He's taking flaming fire, taking vengeance on people who don't know God and have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, we better do that before it's everlasting too late. I think about this often. There will be some people, unfortunately, That will spend eternity in torment, that would have sat in pews just like this, and would have heard the gospel message preached many, many times, and would have heard the invitation delivered many, many times, and would have heard the invitation song many, many times, probably sang along with them, the saints that is. And yet, they never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a tragic thought, folks. All of those opportunities, if they would just have taken advantage of one, just one of those opportunities, responded and obeyed the gospel, they would have avoided eternal doom. I mean those opportunities, and maybe there's somebody in the audience that falls in that category, and you listen to the invitation one Sunday, you listen to it on Wednesday, you listen to another Sunday, and and, there will be that one, you may not know it, but there will be that one that will be the last invitation you ever hear. What do you do with that? And the answer to that question will determine your eternal destiny. Friends, we need to get serious about obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back, you can't say, well, Lord, I intended. I I meant to. I was going to. There was a certain point in my life I was trying to get to. None of that. It's done. It's done. There are no appeals. There are no exceptions. There are no, Lord, have mercy. All the mercy in the world had already been bestowed. There's no more mercy at that point. At that point, either you know God and you've obeyed the gospel and you're faithful or you're not. Two camps of people. And if we're in that second camp, we are going to suffer the vengeance of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. Oh, what a terrible fate. And so if you're in this audience and you haven't obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, please obey the gospel before it's too too late. Second point I want to give to you. Something else we need to do before it's too late. We need to stop habitual sin before it's too late. We need to stop habitual sin before it's too late. There may be some in the audience here, unbeknownst to me, unbeknownst to the elders, that have a sin that they are just living in. And they come, they're here Sunday morning, they're here Sunday afternoon, they're here Wednesday, they drop off kids at Vacation Bible School, they come to the Gospel meeting. But they're living in sin. Now I'm not talking about every now and then we miss the mark, but I'm talking about what John is talking about. First John chapter one verses three, five through seven. Turn over there, First John chapter one verses five through seven. Stop practicing habitual sin before it's too late. First John chapter one verses five through seven. First John chapter one verses five through seven. The Bible says this. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, listen to this, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What does he say? Hey, God is all light. There's no darkness in God. And here we are claiming to be the children of God. We're in the family of God. We're in the army of God. We're in the church of God. And he says, if we proclaim to be his and we walk in darkness, is that possible? John says no. More importantly, the Holy Spirit, who inspired John, said no. He said, You lie and you don't practice the truth. And so, f- friends, we, we we can't have habitual sin. We're just living in sin. We know it. It's in our back pocket we think we justify it and say, yeah, but I I love the Lord and and I'm coming to services and I'm encouraging people and and I read my Bible, but what about that sin? Well, you know, I got free of clay. You know, I'm I'm a man. You know, I'm a person. uh, I'm not perfect. I'm fallible. I understand all that. But the Lord says right here, if you're living in darkness, you're not His. And so we need to examine ourselves, folks. If we're living in sin and professing Christ, there's a problem. And let me say this, some sins are very addictive. You get caught up in alcohol, get caught up with drugs, get caught up fornication, you get caught up pornography. And it's tough. It's tough to quit that. And somebody would say, well, you don't, you don't understand. It's, it's, so, it's so difficult and, and it's so hard. And I've talked to people that almost it seems like the blame is being put on God's word. Hey, God is just too harsh on this. This is too strict. This is too draconic. No, no. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. You see, when we get involved in these ruts of sin, these habits of disobedience, and we're just addicted and we just do this all the time, whose fault is that? I'm not saying, I'm I'm not going to say to you it's going to be easy. I'm not saying, but you've done it to yourself. I've had to say that to some brethren. Look, hey, you made your bed. Now you have to lie. in. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. I didn't say otherwise. The Lord didn't say otherwise. But the Lord also said it's not impossible. Through the love of God and the power of His Word and the power of prayer and the power of His saints, the power of assembly, the power of meditation on God's Word, you can come out of that. But there's got to be a coming out of that. Look at one John chapter three verses seven through nine. One John chapter three verses seven through nine. One John the third chapter stop habitual sin before it is too late. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins, listen to this, he who sins is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And when he says he cannot sin, he's not saying it's impossible for a fully mature Christian to sin. We know that's not the case just from looking at the Scriptures. But the idea is to keep on sinning. You cannot live in sin. The same thing John said in 1 John 1. There's a difference in living in sin and occasionally missing the mark. And we want to make sure that we stay out of the form. We cannot live in sin. Stop it now. And we say in our minds, I'm going to stop it one day. I'm going to get there uh, maybe when I'm older, maybe when I get out of this difficult situation, maybe when I get out from under the stress, I'm going to deal with this. And here's the thing, we don't know when our life is coming to an end. And you don't get credit with God based on good intentions. Oh, I intended to obey the gospel. I intended to stop that habitual sin. I intended to stop that sinful practice. I intended to get out of that. You get no credit for that at all. We're judged by what we do in the body, whether good or bad. Second Corinthians five eight through ten, and so we need to stop habitual sin. And we don't want to get to this point, brethren. Look at Hebrews chapter ten verses twenty six or thirty one. This is a scary thing. When when um, I talk to young people, I try to stress this: Do not flirt with sin. Do not play with sin. Do not experiment with sin. It's too deadly. It's too dangerous. And if you play with this, and this is talking about Christian people. You can find yourself separated from the Lord. The same condition you were in before you obeyed the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? Listen to this, for we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, And again, the Lord will judge his people. Now, this is chilling, verse 31. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We're not talking about alien sinners in Hebrews 10, 26 and 31. We're talking about baptized believers. We're talking about members of the Lord's church. And he says if members of the Lord's church sin willfully, they no longer have the sacrifice for sin. Notice that, no longer, which meant what? They once had it. They had the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They had the cleansing blood of Jesus, right? They had it past tense. They no longer have it. Don't play God for the fool. Don't say to yourself, well, yeah, I'm going to sin, and I, 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 but I know when I get done sinning, I'll ask for forgiveness, and God's got to give it to me because He's forgiving God. So, no, don't play God like that. We don't intentionally sin counting on the grace, making a mockery of the sacrifice. He went on to say, don't insult the spirit of grace. Don't count the blood by which you are sanctified a common thing. Don't trample a foot the Son of God. God will not be mocked like that. God is no fool. We need to get habitual sin out of our lives, and we won't go there for sake of time. But Hebrews 6, 4-6 says, we can get so deep in sin that we will choose never to come out. Remember that verse, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance, because we won't come out. We enjoy it too much. And so we need to make sure that we not only obey the gospel before it's too late, we need to stop habitual sin before it's too late. But let me give you a third point. We need to repay our parents before it's too late. We need to repay our parents before it's too late. Turn to your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verses three through four. We need to repay our parents before it is too late. First Timothy, the fifth chapter, verses three through four. First Timothy chapter five, verses three through four. We need to repay our parents before it is too late. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, he let them first learn to show piety at home, and here's our concept, and to repay their parents. For this is good and acceptable before God. And so we're told by Paul that when our parents bring us into the world and they raise us, they are doing us a service, right? And we're the most vulnerable we'll ever be in our lives. I mean, think about how vulnerable a baby is completely dependent upon his or her parents for lodging, for clothing, for nourishment. For medicine, for protection, anything that baby needs, he or she is going to have to get from someone else, i.e. the parents. And they invest time, and they invest money, and they invest of themselves, and they provide for the social needs, and they provide for the physical needs, they provide for the spiritual needs that they're bringing up in the training and admonition of the Lord until they're fully grown adults and they go out into the world. And he says, you know what? If your parents did that for you, You, as an adult child, you owe them something. You owe them an obligation. There's a debt that's been created, and you better pay it. Now, in this context, he's talking about a financial debt. That if your parents fall on hard times, they need help making ends meet. They need help with medical bills. They need help with their housing. Whatever their financial needs are, he's saying you as the child ought to take care of that. And don't dare let the church be burdened with that. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. Are we doing that? And although I know that it talks about the financial in this context, talk about that concept repaying the parents. Remember we talked about what the parents do for us? They provide for our social needs, they provide for our spiritual needs, they provide for our physical needs, they provide for our financial needs. Do we do that with our parents? Do we provide for their social needs? How many of us spend time with our parents? As adults? How many of us pick up the phone and call our parents? How many times do we email our parents? How many times do we call our parents or spend time texting? How many times do we just visit our parents? Is that not a part of repaying parents with piety? If you don't think that then what about Ephesians 6-2 then? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2. Ephesians the sixth chapter and verse 2. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2. The Bible says this, Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth." We owe an obligation, we as children owe an obligation to honor our parents. And yes, that's yes ma'am and no sir, and yes it's sir and no ma'am. But it goes beyond that. It even goes beyond the financial we've talked about. We need to spend time with our parents. I remember years ago I was talking to somebody and they were telling me, about somebody in a nursing home, a mother, and the mother had children, and the children never came to visit. And this person was making the observation just how terrible a thing that was. This person didn't seem to be particularly religious, but just instinctively knew there's something wrong when this lady has brought these kids into the world, has trained them up, has provided for their needs, and now she's in need, and she has nobody. Nobody that she brought into this world to help her out. Friends, that's a shame, that's an embarrassment. And let it never be named among the saints. We need to be there for our parents. And let me say this, because sometimes this subject comes up. I just talked about the idea of a parent being in a nursing home. And know when you talk to brethren, there are a lot of different views about that. And I, there seems to be an idea that's crept in that what we've just talked about, repaying your parents with piety, that somehow that means that you cannot put your parent into a nursing home for any reason whatsoever. Now friends if that is your personal belief for yourself and your parents and that's what you want to pursue I don't have a problem with that. No more power to you. But I'm here to tell you be careful about judging your brothers and sisters in Christ with that standard. That's not what the Bible says. We can repay our parents. But don't you know sometimes our parents get so overwhelmed with afflictions, so overwhelmed with difficulties, so overwhelmed with physical frailties that they need more help than what you and me can provide as adult children. And that's not sin, and that's not neglecting your parents. Now, could it be? Yeah, if you stick your mother, stick your father in the home and never come visit them as we just talked about. And that happens. I remember my mother when she had her mother in a home and she was burning up the road constantly, uh, seeing to her needs. And while she was there, not only did she see to my mother or my grandmother's needs, she would see to some of the other residents' needs. Why? Because someone stuck them in there and never came to see them. And you know the, how the drill goes most of the institutions are understaffed, under resourced, and the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And my mom brought a lot of squeaking. And got some help for those folks and for her own mom, but the point I'm making here is that there are many different ways to do this, and don't look down your nose and just assume, "Oh, that person! How could they dare put their mother or father in a nursing home?" You need more facts than that than before you conclude that they don't love their mother and father. But they better be taking care of them. They better be visiting. They better be taking care of their needs. Why? Because that's right. That's what the Bible says that that ought to happen. There's a debt that's being created. It needs to be repaid. We ought to repay our parents. We ought to honor our parents. And I want to say this, folks. Do it before it's too late. Do it before it's too late. One of the things that, that I regret in my life is that, and many of you know my mother passed away back in October of 2016. And she had metastatic breast cancer. And uh, it just went a lot quicker than we anticipated. And I just, I really wish if I could go back and do it again. I wish I had spent more time making that four-hour journey from Birmingham to Knoxville to spend time with my mother. Now I did spend some time, and we talked frequently. But I I just wish that I had done more. You can be busy, but don't be too busy to repay your parents. And so I always tell people that have living parents, spend time with your parents. Talk to your parents. Call your parents. Visit your parents. You'll never regret any time that you spend with your parents. That's important. Because we have this limited window, right? You don't want to live with regret. And, and I hear about these situations sometimes where there is estrangement between the parents and the children. Don't let that happen to the extent you can control it. I understand that it's a two way street. But I, I feel, I, I think about myself, and I had a good relationship with my mother. We talked about all kinds of things. <laughs> In fact, we talked about so many different things that I began to wonder maybe we're a strange family because I'll be talking to folks and they'll be like, Yeah, I don't know how my dad feels about that, and I don't know how my mom feels about that. And I'll be like, Don't you talk to your mom and dad about that? Oh, no, man, we never, that's, that's private. They don't talk about us. We talked about all that stuff. We talked about how they felt about death, and how they felt about disease, and how they felt about the marriage. and all, just, all, we, just, we talked about all kinds of things. I just thought that was the norm. So, I had a good relationship. But even with that good relationship, I live with the regret that I didn't spend enough time with her towards the end. But when I think about some people that I've heard that just don't have a relationship with their parents anymore, just don't talk to them, or rarely do, or rarely visit, I feel for them. Because one day they'll, they'll wake up, I hope. But it might be too late, and they've got to live with that regret. And let me say this if you're a, a, a parent or a child, a child in particular, and you live out of state from your parents, please go visit them. Please go visit them. Because I, I, my, I had some brethren at Oak Ridge where my parents worship bring this to my attention. I, I'm not proud of this, but there would be times in my life when I was so busy that I didn't get up there as often as I should have. And I learned from these brethren who were forthright that it bothered my mom in particular. It bothered her. It bothered her in particular because she wanted to see us more. She wanted us to come. But also it bothered in the sense that it, 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 not that anybody said anything, but sometimes it kind of raised questions about the relationship between the children and the parents. Why Why do they never come? Why do you never see them? You never want to do. That's not repaying your parents with piety. And look, I'm not up here to prescribe this is the number of times per year that you're supposed to. Be. I can't do that. But I can say if nothing more than Matthew 7, 12, do unto others as you'd have them doing to you, if you had children and they were adult children and you were in a different state, would you want them to visit you on a somewhat regular basis? I think most of us say yes. Then do the same thing for them, right? Before what? It's too late. Fourth point. Fourth point, spend time with your brothers or sisters before it's too late. Spend time with your brothers and sisters before it is too late. I want you to look at a couple passages about the New Testament church. And I'm always amazed by this, about just how much time brethren spent together, whether you're talking about the apostles or just disciples in general. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 46. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 46. We're talking about spend time with your brothers and sisters in Christ before it is too late. Acts 2, 44 through forty six. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now listen to this. This is amazing. So continuingly, weekly, with one accord. Now I hit that wrong. So continuing that biweekly. No. So continuing daily. With one accord in the temple in breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved." How often did brethren get together in the temple? Every single day. <laughs> Can you imagine if we lived back then how we would react? We can't even get people here on a regular basis three times a week. And those brethren were meeting every single day. And isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that after saying that they met together daily in the temple, it says, the Lord added to the church how often? Daily. Think that's a coincidence? When brethren get together every day and they're meeting from house to house, they're meeting in the temple. Look at Acts 5.42. I love this. Acts chapter 5 verse 42. Now this is limited to the apostles but still the, the point is to be made. Acts 5, 42, And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The apostles we're spending time together, doing the Lord's work, teaching, sharing the gospel every single day. And I don't think it's a coincidence, and you know in the original we didn't have these chapter bricks that Acts 6.1 says, now in those days, what days? The days where they're teaching and preaching every single day, going from house to house. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was what? Multiplying. <laughs> That's what happens. That's what happens when we get together on a regular basis and we're encouraging each other and we're teaching and we're working. Guess what? Fruit is born. As simple as that. We've got to spend time with each other. First Peter 4 9 says we need to be hospitable to one another. Hebrews 3 12 through 13. Turn over there real quick. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. We need to spend time with our brethren. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. The Bible says this, Hebrews 3, 12-13, Beware brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another what daily? What's called today? Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. He says we understand that there is a possibility that every single one of us, even though we've been grounded in the faith for 20, 30, 40 years, he said there's still the possibility that we could develop an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And for our once saved, always saved folks, you don't depart from somebody you hadn't been with. He says, these people have been with God, but you know what? They can depart from God. And if you depart from God, you think you have salvation? No, you don't. <laughs> That's a rhetorical question. He says, you know, to address that ever present danger, there's an antidote to that. He says, exhort one another daily while well, it's called today. Spend time with your brethren, encourage your brethren, build up your brethren, edify your brethren. And it's kind of hard to do that unless we spend some time together, you know. We have spent time together. And, and I think about that. And again, you know, I think about regrets that I have. I, some of you that have been here for a while remember Brother Walters used to sit in the back there. And Brother Walters, we sat back there together and we used to talk about all kinds of things. Really enjoyed his company. And I remember several, several times, He'd say, Brother Clark, you ought to come over to see me. Brother Clark, you ought to come over to see me. And I'd say, yeah, brother, I'm going to get over there. I'm I'm going to see you. And I never did. And then one day, Brother Walters wasn't there. And I couldn't. And I regret that. Spend time with your brethren before it's too late. I'm brother, Brother Ray Davis, who, very good friend of mine, very good friend. And similarly, we'd talk. And he would talk about, brother, you need to come over and see me. You need to come over and see me. And he was always teaching. He always I don't know if you talked to me, there was always someone in that nursing home where the sister living center, he was teaching. And he want me to come over there and help him out with the teaching. He won't just come and talk and, and I'd say, and I intend, I said, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come, but too busy. The next time I looked up, Brother Davis had passed away. Now it's too late. Now it's too late. Don't don't be like me don't be like me. Do it now. Spend time with your brethren. Make time. You'll never regret that. I know we're busy. We've got a lot of things going on, but we're never too busy to edify the saints. We're never too busy to exhort the saints. We're never too busy to spend time with the brothers and sisters in Christ. You look at Jesus. Can you be any busier than Jesus? (laughs) And He made time for people. We need to make time. Let me give you another point for the lesson's yours. Reconcile with your brethren before it's too late. Reconcile with your brethren before it's too late. You know, one of the advantages I have of you know preaching from various different places is I hear a lot of things and I learn a lot of things. And one of the things that absolutely just is so discouraging is that you have in some congregations brethren who just don't speak to each other. Can you imagine that? Children of God. Children of God, this God of love, who, because of something that happened. Somebody said something to somebody's child. Somebody didn't come visit me when I was in the hospital. Somebody didn't send me a card. Somebody just said something cross to me that I didn't appreciate. Somebody embarrassed me, and there is just no communication whatsoever. It's not like the Hatfields and the McCoys. You got, they sit on one side of the building, and the other was sit on another side of the building, and they have nothing to do with each other. Friends, that is not Right? That is not right. And I'm gonna tell you, if we have problems with one another, tell you what the Bible says, squash it quickly. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21-26. Please, please resolve your differences with your brethren before it's too late. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Matthew the fifth chapter, verses 21 through 26. The Bible says this: You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, "Rocka," shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, "You fool," shall be in danger of hell fire. Now listen to this. This is really remarkable. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge throw you over to the officer, and you be thrown into, heaven, or thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will be no, by no means get out of there till you paid the last penny. Let me tell you what really impresses me about that series of passages there. It's the urgency of reconciling with your brother in Christ. You see, I'll be honest with you. My thinking would be, absent this scripture, is that if I have my gift to offer to God, well, I need to worship. God's most important. Now we'll we'll get to this reconciliation thing later, but but I gotta give my gift. Worship, God is first, God's number one. I got to do this first. And Jesus says, uh-uh-uh. He says, you know what? You leave that gift right there. You don't worship. There's something that you got to take care of. You go back and you reconcile with your brother, and once you've reconciled, then you come and offer your gift. Sounds like reconciliation is pretty important to the Lord, does it not? And yet sometimes we have Christians in the same congregations, they have issues with one another, and they worship Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. They don't speak, they don't talk, don't even look at each other sometimes. Folks, that's grade school stuff. Come on now. We're adults here. And I'm not saying that sometimes I don't do grade school stuff. Ask Jacqueline, she'll tell you about it. But, but we got to grow out of that. we got to be mature. There is an urgency. If there's a problem with a brother and sister, you make it right. Because a couple of things could happen. You could die and you can't make it right or they could die and you can't make it right with them. And so there's an urgency. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. That's talking about if you know your brother has something against you. But look at Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, what? Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth the two or three witnesses every word may be established. if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector." So, I've already been told that if I know a brother has something wrong with me, I got to go to that brother before I worship. And here, if the brother has sinned against me, I got to go to him. And what I got to do? Try to reconcile. If I can't do it by myself, I bring two or three witnesses, I go a second time, and if that doesn't work, I finally tell the church, Brother Simon, I know you'd appreciate it if brethren would apply this, because <laughs> too many brethren skip those two steps, they go straight to the eldership, here you go, and Jesus says, no, that's not the way, you get personally involved, you do what you can to resolve it, and yes, if it gets to the point where you can't, there's a time when you bring it to Brother Allen and Brother Simon and Brother Bob, but it's not the first thing you do. And we need to be urgent about this. We don't have the luxury of saying, well, yeah, maybe after the summertime, maybe next year, or maybe when I'm in a better mood. Or No, there's an urgency now. Reconcile with your brethren. Why? Before it's too late. We've run out of time. There's so many things we could say, similar points, but you get the point here. We have a limited opportunity, a limited window. And we need to get things right in that limited window. Get things right with your brethren. Get things right with your children. Get things right with your parents. Most importantly, get things right with the Lord before it's everlasting too late. And so, there may be somebody here that's sitting in that seat knows good and well, I got something wrong in my life. I know I need to change. I know I need to t- repent. I know I need to, to go a different path. But there's this certain inertia, you know, just, just so hard to, 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 to move and do what's necessary. But friends, We have to do it because the clock is ticking. We simply don't know how much time we have. And I don't want you to live with regrets of, hey, you know what? I should have spent more time with my parents. Hey, you know what? I should have spent more time with my brethren. Hey, you know what? I should have resolved that dispute with my brother or sister in Christ. Get those things taken care of. And yes, at this point, we also want to extend the invitation. If you're not a Christian, get that taken care of. Tonight, as soon as you can. There is an urgency to it. I remember when I was um, considering obeying the Gospel I was a a child and so I had to be subject to my parents to a certain extent. I'll explain that in just a minute. Um, And because I was fairly young there was some concern about whether I knew what I was supposed to be doing and appreciated what it meant. And so they assigned one of the elders to interrogate me and that's exactly what it felt like interrogation. Um, And I went through the process. Fielded the questions, answered the questions. But what the elder didn't know, <laughs> what my parents didn't know, was this fundamental truth. I was gonna get baptized regardless. <laughs> I was humoring them, go through the motions. But if they pressed me, I'd say, now look, y'all souls are fine. Y'all been baptized in Christ. I have it. So don't you be telling me not to get baptized. I'm gonna get baptized. Now I'd have to say it more respectfully than that. But that's how I felt. I remember I had a dream which showed me that I dream about things I'm thinking about often, not always. And I had a dream where an angel approached me and just simply asked the question, have you been baptized into Christ? My answer was no. He obliterated me on the spot. Now that's bad theology, but it shows you what I was thinking about as a kid. And so, if you have the opportunity, obey the gospel. There's an urgency to it. I tell people if you can talk your kids out of it, they don't, they don't understand. You got people talking about, yeah, I'm going to get to it next week or a couple of weeks or a month. Now they don't understand that. Because what if the Lord comes back tonight and you're not obedient to the gospel? We just covered that. Second Thessalonians one six through ten. There's no hope, no hope. God is not a respecter of persons. He's got the same standard for all of us. If you're not in Christ, you will die for eternity. For eternity. You know I said a while ago my bad theology was obliteration. A lot of people think that's true. They think well there's no hell. God is too good to do that. He'll just obliterate you and won't exist. You know you you would wish obliteration were the truth if you're in hell, but that's not the truth. You will be in that place for all eternity. Let that sink in for a second. A place that never gets any better. There's never any relief. Every pain in this life there's always the prospect for relief. Even if it's the ultimate relief, death, there's no relief in hell. It goes on and on and on. And people say, Kevin, you trying to scare people? I'm just telling you what the Lord said. If the Lord said that we need to talk about hell, then I think we need to talk about hell. <laughs> and understand the consequences of being outside the body of Christ. So if anybody is here and not a Christian, here's an opportunity to do so before it's too late. Maybe you remember the Lord's body, you've already obeyed the gospel, but maybe you brought a reproach on the cause of Christ publicly. And you want to let your brethren know so we're not ambushed. You know? you know what that means, right? So, if you're out there living in an ungodly way, and, and some of your brethren are out there too, and they're trying to convert somebody, and teach somebody, and they say, now where, where do you go to church? I go to Mount Mountain Church of Christ. Oh, you go to that person who's running around on his wife. That's the first time you've heard about it. You've been ambushed. What are you going to? you got nothing to say. But think about this situation. What if that person came forward? And say, you know what? I've run around on my wife. I've been unfaithful. And I've asked my wife for forgiveness. I've asked you for forgiveness. I've asked God for forgiveness. And I wanted to let you know. Then that same conversation, somebody says, yeah, you go to that old Mount Church where that person's running around his wife. Yeah, you know what? And he admitted that he sinned. He repented of his sin. And he confessed his sin. And you know what? According to the Bible, God has washed away that sin. So let's quit talking about him. Let's talk about your soul, (laughs) which is what we're going to talk about anyway. No distractions, no distractions. Or maybe you're struggling with something. You need some prayers of the saints. Do it before it's too late. Look at all these saints we have, all of God's children that are just ready to lift up your name in prayer to God. Don't let pride get the best of you. Don't let pride tell you I I just don't, I don't want people to know what I've done. I went to a church years and years ago. They had a, a strange practice. Uh, I saw this over and over again, so I know it was kind of the tradition of that church. But people would get up and they would say, "This, brothers and sisters, I've sinned. I have repented of my sin. I confess my sin, and I ask for your forgiveness for a sin." Oh, God has forgiven me of the sin, a- and that's it. And I'm like, "What did you do?" And it's not I have some morbid fascination, but James 5:16 says, "Confess your sins." It didn't say confess that you have sin. There's a difference. And I don't know. I can't read people's hearts, but I just wonder: is the reason why we do that sometimes we don't want brethren to know what we've done? We're so shameful, so we're going to paint it in real vague and ambiguous terms, so nobody knows and thinks less of us. That's pride, folks. <laughs> That's what that is. Confess your sins. I remember when I was a young Christian, I had a problem with my mouth, and you know, I get angry, and sometimes some words flew out that shouldn't flow out. And uh, my parents got wind of it, and they said, "All right." You've been doing that out in public. You're gonna make a public confession. I'm gonna tell you folks, there was no punishment they can imagine, no amount of beatings, no amount of taking away of privileges, no amount of writing sentences that could sting worse than having to get up in front of the congregation of people that thought very highly of my family and say that I'd used some profanity out in public. You do that one or two times, you're like, I ain't doing that again. But let me tell you something that came out of that, because I didn't say, I have sinned. And I confess my sin. There was an older brother, very respected, one of the most scholarly, uh, knowledgeable students of the Bible in the congregation, who pulled me aside, put his arm around me, and said, No, son, I had some struggles with that as well. Let me tell you how I overcame those. And you know what? I would have never gotten that instruction had I just said, I'd sinned. But when I confessed my sins, what I had done, it signaled to folks in the audience who also had struggled with that, and they could come to me, and they could offer me some constructive criticism. Here's how you overcome that. See, that's the kind of thing that you're dealing yourself out of when you let pride get in the way. So, if you want to take advantage of this opportunity, do it now. Confess your sins, ask for the prayers, or obey the Gospel. But the point is this, don't delay. Don't procrastinate. We don't know how much time. We've talked about death, but we didn't talk about the other factor. The Lord's coming back sometime. And none of us know when it is. And I tell you, sometimes I forget. I get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of life. And, I, oh, I'm planning this and I'm planning that. And I forget the Lord could come tonight. And here's the question I ask you. If the Lord comes tonight, will you be ready? And If you have any equivocation about that at all, you need to do something tonight. That should be an easy answer. If you equivocate at all, you've got something you need to take care of. If anyone up to the invitation, we ask you to come forward as we stand, as we sing.